Hello and welcome to the GTR News Brief. It's Wednesday, December 9th, and here are a few of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this week. International banks are being urged to cut ties to three meat trading companies in Brazil after an anti-corruption investigation accused the trio of contributing to deforestation in the Amazon. A detailed report from campaign group Global Witness alleges that meat traders JBS, Marfrig and Minerva have continued to source cattle from ranchers involved in deforestation. The report says those activities are in breach of sustainability agreements the company signed over a decade ago. Meanwhile, the report also points out that JBS, Marfrig and Minerva have taken billions in funding from international banks and argues the company's activities are not in keeping with those banks' sustainable lending criteria. Another news. Trade finance products are being exploited by criminal groups to launder funds and support terrorist activity, according to a landmark report from an influential financial crime standard-setting body. The review comes from the Financial Action Task Force, which spoke to representatives in the public and the private sector, and found that exploitation of trade financing processes was a common theme. Trade-based money laundering involves exploiting international trade in order to move the proceeds of crime through the formal financial system, including through open account transactions and documentary trade finance. As US President-elect Joe Biden readies to enter the White House next month, one topic he'll need to address is the tough economic sanctions imposed on Iran by the Trump administration, which has crippled the Middle Eastern state's economy. Under Obama, the US had been one of the main backers of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, an agreement which saw Iran dismantle its nuclear program in exchange for a lifting of UN sanctions. But Trump took the US out of that agreement and then imposed sanctions on the country in 2018. This week, GTR spoke to Jason Wilcox, special counsel in the international trade practice at law firm Baker Botts, about how the US-Iran relationship might change under Biden. He says that he ultimately expects Biden to try and reverse some of Trump's policies on Iran, but removing sanctions could prove to be difficult. Fintech company Monitor Go has partnered with Singapore-based trade technology platform Good to implement its trade finance fraud prevention solution across Asia. Run on R3's Corda technology, Monitor Go's blockchain-based solution prevents double financing and other types of trade fraud by enabling banks to securely publish an invoice to the network and then apply different states to it, such as whether it's been registered or financed. This means other lenders can easily check if a transaction has already been financed by another funder. The network also authenticates invoices against national government data sources such as tax and customs databases and checks the underlying goods being financed through the transportation information associated with each invoice. Now we take a look at a major story from last week. Singapore's banks have finalised a code of best practice for the provision of trade finance to the commodity sector after a string of fraud scandals left lenders with significant financial losses. The Association of Banks in Singapore says the long-awaited code provides a benchmark for banks' lending standards in the sector to help enhance the resilience, relevance and competitiveness of Singapore as a global commodity trading hub. Earlier, I spoke to senior reporter John Basquill to find out more and how this solution is aiming to restore trust in the city-state's commodity sector.
So the, the code of best practice is being introduced uh, as a direct result of the fraud scandals we, we've seen this year in Singapore's commodity trading and commodity finance market. So um, in all those cases of fraud, uh, that includes the major ones, so Hin Leong, Agritrade, uh, but also the accusations involving Zenrock, Sugi Energy, uh, Hontop Energy and a few others. Um, in all those cases, one of the common themes was double financing. So that basically means trading companies were going to multiple banks with the same invoice, uh, looking to finance the same trade several times over. Um, and the reason they were doing that was to obtain additional liquidity, potentially to, to boost their revenue figures and give the impression of being in better financial health than, than maybe they really were. Um, or in in Hin Leong's case, at least, to keep generating more and more uh, working capital to keep paying off uh, earlier debts from earlier double financing schemes. Um, so so what happened then when the, when those traders collapsed or were, were kind of unable to keep paying off these debts um, was the banks were left chasing up money that they should have been paid once those trade transactions had been completed. Uh, so what the banks found was uh, they all had claims to the same cargo, um, uh, to put it kind of simply. So for banks, that, that would then probably mean you have to write off assets, uh, in some cases that they might be worth millions of dollars, um, because ultimately you know you don't have any hope of recovering those funds uh, or, or the underlying cargo itself. Um, so, so that's the background to this code of best practice. It was developed by the banks, by the banking sector, in order to improve transparency uh, around commodity trading uh, and to try and make sure those kinds of incidents don't happen again. Um, and when I say developed by the banks, uh, there were 28 banks in total involved in drafting the, the code. Um, and the whole project was overseen by the Association of Banks in Singapore, the, the ABS. Uh, it's important to add as well, the code isn't legally binding and it doesn't, re it doesn't replace any kind of legal or regulatory requirement, but it does have the backing of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, uh, as well as the um, Accounting and Corporate Regulatory Authority. And John, can you tell me which areas of trade finance the code is specifically targeting? Yeah, so the scope is actually really broad. Um, the code says it applies to any lender regulated in Singapore offering any kind of loan, advance credit, uh, any financial facility to a trader. And when it says trader, it's not specific to commodities trading. Um, so because of that broad scope, a lot of the recommendations themselves are, are quite general. Um, it's things like recommending lenders insist traders provide information on the, the whole trade cycle, sort of end to end, uh, when they're applying for, for finance. Um, traders should also agree <clears throat> uh, should also agree with the bank not to obtain any other financing related to the same goods. Um, but there are some um, more specific points in there. Uh, which are maybe more relevant to commodity finance. So, um, <clears throat> so for example, on letters of indemnity, which are probably used more commonly in commodity trades than, than, than other types of trading activities, uh, the code says banks should consider demanding a copy of the title documents or the transport documents um, that are being relied upon. Um, and then if the, fa if, if the finance being provided relates to trade receivables, the code recommends the debtor is, is informed about that fact and that the assignment of receivables is recorded in the invoices that are issued uh, to that debtor. Um, so that's all got some relevance to the Hin Leong case, for example, because um, with Hin Leong, it wasn't just multiple financing based 
on invoices. It was it was on based on trade receivables and inventory finance as well. Um, so those are a few more specific examples, but there are there are plenty of broader recommendations in the code. Uh, things like checking traders' risk appetites or policies kind of match their their size and their structure um, around checking directors have a uh, solid risk culture um, uh, that whistleblowers have a potential kind of route if if required. And you might wonder about some of that. Um, <clears throat> surely banks were doing this already if they were financing trades worth millions of dollars. And maybe so, but but really the overarching theme to all of this is better transparency leading to better due diligence. So, John, in the commodity finance sector in Singapore this year, we've seen a number of broad cases. You've reported on how large banks have pulled out or limited their exposure to the sector, which has reportedly hit smaller commodity traders in the region acutely. From what you've heard, is the code expected to restore trust and help boost liquidity for these companies? Uh, yeah, that's right. So several banks have cut their exposure to commodity trading or, or, or even withdrawn completely. Um, and the reasons for that aren't necessarily straightforward, um, but it's pretty clear that, that these fraud cases have hit a lot of banks quite hard. Um, we've, we've already heard from some smaller trading houses in Asia that access to finance has become more difficult. But um, at the same time, the larger sort of global traders say financing for them is still resilient. Uh, and they're framing this as um, a flight to quality, as the phrase you kind of keep seeing. Um, obviously, the concern there is if smaller companies are not able to access finance, um, even if they have nothing to do with Hin Leong, Agritrade, or those other those other traders uh, accused of fraud, um, that's a problem. That's a problem for the wider industry, even if it might be good news for the largest traders. Um, and it. It's too early to say, really, whether this code will make much difference to that situation. Um, and really, you could argue it either way. You could say this gives an opportunity to smaller traders to kind of open up their doors, demonstrate to banks that they can be trusted, that they're professional, that they have a sound uh, risk management culture. Um, and ultimately, maybe that would give banks some comfort. Um, but on the other hand, you could argue this is yet another due diligence burden that banks face. And maybe it's easier for them just to keep tightening lending criteria um, and not to not to keep jumping through those hoops to protect what's probably quite a small revenue stream for them. Um, and and finally, there's a third way of looking at this. You could you could say that because the code isn't legally binding, it hasn't actually been issued by the MAS. It only applies to banks rather than directly to traders themselves. So um, so whether the code uh, will actually be adhered to in practice We'll have to wait and see. I, th I think people are seeing it as a move in the right direction, um, but it's really too early to really too early to say how it's all going to play out in the end. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening. <laughs>